Welcome to the FTBL podcast. We've got a fantastic chat this week with uh, Mark Rodan, Longton Phoenix coach extraordinaire. Whoa! That's one of the strikes of the season. Whoa! Mark Rudin, welcome to FTBL Podcast. Good to see you, Kevin. Been a long time. What a season. Yeah, it's been it's been okay so far. You know, I think um, from when we started with 10 players in the first day of pre-season to where we are now and how much we've progressed, um, you know, not just as a team, but as a football club, um, I think the people involved should be quite proud of themselves um, because there's been a lot of work from there from then to now. But as I always say, there's still a long way to go because... There's a lot to achieve still. Absolutely. I mean, we're only just past the halfway mark, but I think the transition from where Phoenix was as a club a year ago to mm. where you are now, it's night and day. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, like I said, it's good. <laughs> um, you know, you sort of, you don't, you don't uh, reflect too often um, because you're always striving to improve every day. Um, and, and that's all areas, not just your players, but your staff and the people in the office and interacting with fans and, and media. And no different to Australia where we're fighting for space, you know, in, in newspapers and on radio and TV as well. So, you know, I sort of came in there with a plan and made some pretty bold and big statements because, um, and then obviously the hard thing was, was backing those, those statements <laughs> up. But I wanted to try and, you know, lift the profile of the club somewhat. You know, they've got a new boss in town and he's, he's coming out saying all these things. But like, like most things, I try to back up my words as well. And I've worked hard to try and do that. So... Before, just before you came in, I mean, there was serious doubts about whether or not there was going to be a club this season, yeah. uh, certainly in another couple of seasons, which is an obstacle you've still got to overcome. Mm. Um, but, you know, with the, the talk of the licence being sold off, repositioning the club overseas and changing the name and everything... How do you how, how did they sell that to you? I mean... Uh, what, I take the job? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, good question. Uh, like I said, I spoke to a lot of people. The chairman was the most important one for me. Um, and when I spoke to him, there were some clear questions that I needed answering. And he was pretty forthright in that. And um, I knew he was a, a straight shooter. And I like those type of people because I'm like that myself as well. So when he said, look, he'll fight for the license and fight for the exis- existence of the club, that was enough for me. Mm. Because I'm a, I'm a fighter, always have been my whole career as well. So... Um, that was good, but then there was a lot of other issues that I needed to address and needed to find out. So I, I do a lot of homework and ask a lot of people a lot of questions. And the more people that I ask, and I've got you know, a good, strong circle of friends um, and, a, and a couple of mentors as well um, throughout my whole career. Uh, you know, Ron Smith being one of them, my old coach at the Institute of Sport. You know, a lot of a lot of them told me don't take it. You know, yeah. what, what are you doing? This is your first job in, in with a big with a big people. You know, in, in the big smoke. You know, you, you steer clear from this one. You know, you've said no to others in the past. Why are you taking this job? Well, on? that that was my next question. You know, yeah. surely you were in the frame for other jobs previous to this. Yeah, I was, and I got offered. You know, um, without going into too much detail because it's irrelevant now. But I'm pretty pedantic, and, and um, you know, I need to understand. Um, the landscape of the job and, and everything around it as well and there was one in particular that the FFA were running and I just didn't think at the time having given myself and them 10 days to, to make a decision that that's where I wanted to go down that path um, because there were clear red flags um, within, the, within that time frame that I didn't or wasn't able to adjust or change 
So, you know, I, I didn't want to take you know, Organana Park. But with, you know, with this club here, you know, Rob, it was a different proper setup. You know, Rob Morrison is the chairman, you know, speaking to the other direct, board directors, speaking to a lot of people that have played for the club who understand um, the ins and outs of the club as well was important. So I guess what was important was my family um, and speaking to them. And it was my oldest son who sort of turned around and, and sometimes it just takes something like that and he's, 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 doesn't say a lot of things but he's, he's always straight to the point and he said dad it's your chance then you may not come again you don't know you've been waiting patiently for a long time I think you can turn that club around take it please take it you know and I think that's what hit me quite hard and like I said it's back in a lot of people and even when I was announced because it was quite secretive before that I didn't say anything and that was the plan but I also was testing them you know when I agreed I wanted to see just just how much you know um, they're able to keep their word and not letting anybody know and, and, they were, and they were good in that regard so I knew that there was, there was a level of trust there too so yeah. then all the, all the messages well done congratulations as well as those guys that I'd spoken to why the hell did you do this you know you're <laughs> on a hiding to nothing but I guess it's a challenge Kevin it's, and, and I'm, I've always loved the challenge and the bigger the better and then the more people tell me I can't do something I guess that's something just deep inside of me where I just build up this uh, um, I don't know I'm quite resolute and, and um I don't like taking no for an answer as well. I like proving people wrong, I mm. guess. And, and that was um, a lot of my recruitment process as well. I wanted to bring in people. Thank you very much, top man. Thanks, David. Um, I wanted to bring in people who were, who were fighters, who, who had gone through a lot of tough times in their careers and they got themselves out of, the, out of it as well. Um, and you know, only through adversity to get to find a real character. So a lot of those traits that I was looking for within myself it was important that I had to find a clear identity for the club and recruitment is obviously part of that as well. The um, first two games had the, got off to the most successful start in Phoenix oh, yeah, yeah. coaching career history yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was yeah, that yeah. little bit of a dip. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you have your doubts about yourself or about the club? I had my doubts um, before that Kevin. Can I, can I mix it with the best coaches in the league? Can I, can I put together a team who I knew was, was going to be able to match some of the bigger clubs because they've got the, you know, bigger resources and, and so on and so forth. But I thought, you know, if I can work on, on and micromanage a lot of the, you know, the, the skill sets of the players and from a tactical point of view as well, um, I had my doubts about that uh, because coaching the NPL um, is a different kettle of fish to, to working with the big boys. So, yeah, there were doubts there. I think that first game was good to get out of the way because getting your first win after your first game was like, geez, I, you know, I can do this. There's, there's no reason. More importantly, it wasn't so much about myself. It was my players, and, and belief was an important factor here as well and, and something that I needed to drive and build within this playing squad and everybody else at the football club because, if anything else, that was the biggest issue that I found. Everyone was broken. Yeah. Everyone was down. Everyone was low in confidence. But I guess after that second game as well, away from home in Brisbane in that humidity, completely different type of circumstance to being at home in Wellington against last year's grand finalists. Um, there's a sense of adrenaline that comes with that first game. The second game is a completely different type of situation. You, you know, we played Brisbane in pre-season. We knew all about their, um, their pre-season. We heard all the talk that was coming out from, from John about, you know, going undefeated in pre-season and taking this onto the season. So, you know, at the back of my mind, I also, also knew that 
we lost to Bentley Greens in the FFA Cup as well. So immediately there was a sense of doubt around, around me and this football team and, and everything else. But I never, I never stood away from the belief in, in myself and where and the path that I wanted to take with this team. I was happy to take my time and bide my time with the players because we just don't have the money to throw away. Like other teams, we have to be really careful with every decision that we've made, even getting a cup of coffee, you know. <laughs> it's true because they're budgets and, and I've got to be really careful about that. Um, so that game particularly with the first stage of our development, was about understanding our defensive um, areas and positions and, and things like that. So I was quite content with the first two games because we conceded in, in, a, in injury time against Newcastle. It could have easily been two, two zeros in the first two games. I guess, I guess one learning point f- for me upon reflection against the Sydney Wanderers at home was that I thought we were able to take the next stage of our development and we weren't. Um, and that was a good learning curve uh, because once that happened, the next two sort of followed on as well. It's a bit of a wake-up call and just yeah, finesse things I'll a bit growing pains as well. Yeah. And, and it was important that um, the players continue to believe in the path that we were taking. So um, that was an important week. You know, the third loss in the row was important because I could see the players starting to drop and, and I could see certain moments in the game like conceding just before half-time against Adelaide when we run nil up and really didn't have a, have a shot on goal. We scored an own goal and at half-time the heads dropped, the shoulders dropped and, and I thought, OK, we're not ready. You know, all the things that we were working on in pre-season about resilience and, and mental toughness and getting us physically prepared, that was a sign to me that we've still got a long way to go. Um, so the, the week after um, was, was important in between the, the Perth game where we did change two subtle things. It was just a, a higher press, um, only five metres, um, and some of the triggers and the cues were a little bit different, and also retaining the ball a little bit better in certain areas. The, the two things, I mean, there are a million things every coach needs to work on throughout the week, but you've got to always break it down and say, what are the most important? They were the two most important, and it, and it worked. And the players grew in confidence from that game. It's incredible. Just, yeah. you know, the way yeah. you describe it, five metres can yeah. make all that much of a difference. All that difference. We did take the boys out as well. Like, it's not just on the park, Kevin, it's off the park. Yeah. I felt as though there was a lot of pressure on these guys and, and they did ever so well in, in doing the things that I'd asked of them in terms of being an athlete and how to, you know, present themselves away from the football field as well and all the values that we put together as a football club. So it was important that we got together and had, had some dinner and, and just and allowed the players just to let their hair down basically yeah. and just said look enjoy yourself release yourself from all that pressure they've been really good in that, from that point they, didn't, they weren't going out there was a culture a different culture attached to the club before I came as well so I think that released a lot of pressure as well they came in with a smile on their face they saw their coach staying positive and just there was a, 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 a few things but you, there are the, the small things do make a difference too yeah. and then Sydney all came together Yes, yeah, Sydney came together, but again, it's... I don't think anyone was expecting no. that in the slices. Did, no. Before that game started, did you believe truly that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I believe we could get a result against Perth. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that game against Perth gave them so much confidence. Yeah. You know, we had the red card, which was um, which is a bit hard. I've got a minute, you know, okay. but we've got, we can easily continue this. Um, that was tough, but that week in training was phenomenal. And then putting the game plan together for, for Sydney FC... And it, it always differs the way I work. Um, it was great. The execution was there. The runs were there. Everyone understood the game plan. We do a lot of video work with them as well. And all that work is great. But unless you execute on game day, which is the most important day of the week, it's really hard. But 
we got there and, and I saw a couple of little openings and some good signs where players were looking for the things we were working on, just wasn't there. But then all of a sudden we got that, you know, Sarpri Singh plays that ball. You know, we're always starting position was exactly where we wanted to be and we knew that was the area that we wanted to attack, you know, in between Zulo and, and the Dutch boy as well. And it's great as a coach and the coaching staff when you see that come to life, you know, when you're drawing your little things, you're saying, okay, these are their weaknesses, can we exploit that? And at half time, I don't think anyone would have thought that. I must admit, when I saw Stevie Taylor go up for a header and, and Libby Katarche's cross was you know, a, a world-class cross and going, spring at half time away from home against these guys. <laughs> wow, you know. And even I remember walking to the tunnel with my staff around me and I was sort of, you know, going, is it 3-0? Is it really 3-0? Because it was, you know, even for a coach, you can play as much as you want, but you just don't know. And then you had to sort of re regroup and settle down. But fantastic because away from home, you know, I mentioned to the players, you know, that no one gave us the hope and hell at the start of the season. And rightly so, you know, everybody had us to finish last. And I can understand that. That's why I don't take that personally because I can understand clearly where the club's been and where you were coming from absolutely and even with a new rookie coach coming in you know um, although you know my take on that is a little bit different you know like uh, I don't see myself as a rookie maybe it's my first year in the A-League but everyone's got a different pathway mine just happened to be in the NPL you know you've got guys like good mates of mine like John Aloisi who started with the Melbourne City Youth Team or Melbourne Heart Youth Team you know so he worked with kids before he got his chance you know and like I said everyone's different in terms of their their pathway Um, but that was great. You know, it was great walking in, you know, against Stevie Corrick as a good mate of mine, an ex-teammate as well. And that was, that's his, you know, no one talks about him being a rookie coach as much as me. That's the yeah. thing. And, but it's true, you know, yeah. um, and, uh, and he worked with youth as well when he started coaching. So like I said, everyone's got a different pathway. You know, he had a good mentor, a great mentor in Arnie as well to work with. And, and knowing Arnie's teams and knowing that Bibby hadn't really changed too much, you know, he was just allowing it to, to, to continue to, to happen. Um, I knew enough about the way Arnie played, and I always used to say when I was doing some stuff on TV, I love to play against these guys. No one's really exploiting the things, you know. Or maybe they were, but they didn't really see it, you know. Yeah. But it was great to do it with my team, you yeah. know, which is a little bit different Actually as well. Put it into action. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we're just talking about the move from NPL to um, uh, A League. Mm. Uh, what What are the the big differences you found? Because in some ways, I can imagine. Job's the same no matter what level you're at, but by the same tokens, there'll be other new challenges, fresh challenges. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I stuck to my principles in, in terms of the way I, um, you know, create an environment and a culture, you know, the, the values, um, the way I manage people and, and the stakeholders as well. You know, it's, when I went to Sydney United, they were one point away from being relegated. You know, it's a huge club. You know, with a lot of uh, tradition, history, history as well. Yeah, and so a lot of big names come through those doors. They, they have, and you only have to look at you know who's coaching now, right? And and who's got whether it's in the media as well. A lot of you know people like Bozer and Robbie and, and and Arnie, the national team coach, and then Ned, and then you look at Popper and myself and Spider. I mean, there's there's quite a few of us that who. You know, who've gone through Sydney, Croatia, Sydney United, and it's a huge club. So, I kept a close eye on on, on that football club because I was at Rockdale at the time. Um, so I knew it was a pretty big task to try and get that club back to where it should be. Um, I, I didn't think it'd be in the one year we'd win, we'd become Australian champions when the new thing came into, into place. But it was no different, Kevin, because I came into the same job. I guess the only difference is there's more attention. You know, more people are talking about you as a coach and, and your football team um, but pressure I've never really felt that you know I'm, I'm very driven you know anyway and, and I get let down only if I let myself down if I'm not happy with 
my training or the way we reflect or our, our preview of the session or how I manage people on a day-to-day basis, you know, every night, you know, you, you just write my notes and that's what lets me down. Results are a byproduct of all of that, you know, sometimes, and one thing I can never promise is there is a result, but I, I, I can't promise a lot of other things, but in terms of the job at Sydney United, you, you, you're pretty much having to manage all those things yourself. You're almost, not just the head coach, but the assistant and the physio and, and the, you know, kind of general manager because you're making a lot of those decisions or you're offering players contracts and discussing the terms. I don't really do that at A-League level, but um, the goalkeeper coach, so you're doing all these different roles and you get to you know, understand all those roles. Here, you know, you've got professionals who get paid and that's their full-time job, so it's somewhat easier. All you need to do is just manage everybody around you, making sure that they understand their roles and responsibilities. That was pretty much it, you know. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, understanding the NPL, you know, and, and I feel and I'll care for the NPL coaches because I know how tough they're doing it, you know. Budgets are hard and you've got to put four or five different session plans together for any given training night because the what-ifs occur more than in, in the A-League, you know. that You are dealing with professionals and that is their, their prime job. You know, over there, some boys have to study, some guys are doing it overtime, you know. They need that extra little bit of money for their families and, and things like that. And so... Last minute, you, you, what you've planned for 20 players, you might only have 15. You know, it's it's a lot more difficult. So, I, I would recommend anyone, if if as a coach, if they believe that senior coaching, because I was very clear that I wanted to work with seniors. I know others work with juniors and youth and all that. You know, bide your time, cut your teeth. I think it was the, it's the best thing that prepared me. You know, I've seen other people, you know, who get who got jobs a little bit earlier for whatever reasons. You know, and and they they learn their craft when they're in the, the crucible of yeah. uh, the, the hot seat. Yeah, you know, and I, and I know that, you know, some of my counterparts are all good friends of mine, you know, in terms of what they'd achieved in their career. I, I knew it was going, I wasn't the same. I, I didn't score a winning penalty that took us to a World Cup. So I knew that my work ethic and the way I did things had to be somewhat different. Um, and I wasn't given, the, I, I guess, um, the leisure of having a second chance. You know, I knew that I get one chance at this, like many other coaches who have been given a chance in the A-League who, uh, you know, they're finding it tough now to get another job. It's hard, you know, so you need to be really prepared, you know, when you get your chance, and I feel like I was. The A-League is a very, very hard league to to crack into. It is, Uh, it is. I mean, there has been several routes, and almost none of them are the route that you got. Yeah, yeah. Almost all of them have been youth coach or assistant coaches or foreign. Correct, correct. Or, or they're ex-Socceroos with big names who have gone back to play for an A-League club and they got a job because it's part of their contract, right? Again, I wasn't lucky enough to... I mean, when I was in Adelaide my last year with, with uh, Rulio Vidmar, I spoke to him about the potential of working with him and, and we were discussing that and then halfway through the year and, you know, good luck to him. He took the, the Oli Roo job on, you know, so I had to go back to Sydney and, and like I said, I just had to reset everything. And, and then you know, I started a business on the side as well. I got involved with childcare centres. I had my development company as well. So I was, I was very busy during that time. But, um, but you're right, the actual pathway is different. I know a lot of people brought up, um, particularly those in the NPL, you know, the NPL family, like I, I like to call it. You know, I was getting a lot of good messages from them. And I felt, I felt like um, 
you know, I was doing it for them as well. I, I, not, not in a pressure situation, but I know just how hard these guys work and, and no one really talks about them and they don't get... Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, so many of them are such high-quality coaches. Absolutely. Never get a sniff. Absolutely. Absolutely no... I mean, um, West Melbourne have kind of broken the mold, but at least getting... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anastasia... Anastasia. 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 That's John the Hutchinson, one. Yeah. Well, John Hutchinson had to leave the country, you know, and, yeah, and, and yeah. coach somewhere else, right? So... You know, everyone's taken a different path, and, and credit to, to both of them. I mean, John did it in his own way, very successful in his own way. John found that, you know, he got out of his comfort zone, and, and he could have coached in the NPL if he wanted to, but he, he went abroad to, to get some experience, and, and I think it's a great thing that he did that as well. Um, but then there's, there, there are so many other good coaches. I mean, I, I looked around, there was something like 30 other guys doing their pro license a few years back when I was there, and I, was, I remember sitting back and thinking, you know, geez, that did they're churning these these licenses out, and there's so many guys doing this for you know for a minimal number of jobs out there. Where are they going to actually get? Are we all mad? You know, yeah. yeah. Are we all mad? And coaching is like that. It's yeah. a, it's you know, I mean, I don't know. As a player, you kind of live on the edge anyway, right? You you don't know where your next contract's going to be. You can be torn up. You can sign a three-year deal, but they can get rid of you after a year. So, I guess everything that I do, I. I enjoy that aspect of it, funnily enough. You know, I love waking up every day knowing that I could be out of a job tomorrow, you know, or, or my business might fail, or as a player I might not get another contract, and then what, you know? So I think that, that gets me going every day. I don't know what I'd do if, if, I, if I didn't do something like that. And, you know, so you, you can call us mad, but I look at coaches, and, and I believe we're all the same in that regard, you know, and I've got a lot of respect for everybody out there because I understand the path that they've all taken. Everyone's got a different path, you know. Do you feel there's extra pressure on you to be as an NPL trailblazer almost? Yeah, I'm not sure about pressure. I, I feel a sense of responsibility um, mm -hmm. for all of them because I've, I've worked with them, I've been with them. I've, I spent six years in, in that competition, and I've gotten to meet a lot of good guys, and a lot of guys called me for advice or, you know, how do I deal with this or whatever, and... I feel a sense of responsibility more than anything else. Not a sense of pressure. If anything, I'm, I'm glad now it's opened the door for a John who's received, you know, gotten himself a job. And it's not to say that had I failed, would he have received that job? I believe John was good enough to get that job anyway. But it does allow these owners to think a little bit outside the square, and that's why I'll forever be grateful to, you know, to Rob Morrison, you know, who who gave me an opportunity. Um, and I know there's a lot of talk about Wellington, you know, should they be in the league and what it actually give to the league, but. He's one man that I can't ever forget, you know. Like I said, I'll forever be grateful for giving me an opportunity. And he's given a lot of NPL players an opportunity as well. And the, and the football club, Ernie Merrick, has done it. Um, and then I brought in Max Burgess and Ruben Way and these sort of guys as well. So the club continues to give these guys a chance. You know, when everyone talks about the turnstile and, and, and all these guys just uh, going from club to club, uh, you know, Wellington Phoenix would be up there in terms of giving, you know, young NPL players a chance. Is additional pressure on Phoenix as well of course because I mean clubs God love them Central Coast Mariners can do the absolute minimum uh, and still survive without Correct. any external pressure Correct. Phoenix are living and dying not just by success on yep. the field but all yep. the other metrics as well yes. uh, and this constant axe hanging over them as to whether or not the license is going to be renewed how do you deal with that yeah. is, it some, is it a spectre constantly hanging over the club I personally don't, when I went to the job, you know, there's a lot of things that I wrote down in order to, where I believe needed to change and, and how we can change the perceptions of the football club as well. I watch Wellington Phoenix from afar, not just at airports when I used to travel you know, with my media commitments, but 
also watching them quite closely and, and, and very often it's the little things, it's, it's the way you dress at airports, it's the way you know you look, are they always together, they're always in, 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 in cliques or different uh, groups and you know one thing that I made abundantly clear was this t- togetherness, um, not just amongst the playing group and the staff but the whole football club. Um, and then we needed to obviously get out there and, and, and be quite vocal uh, within our community in, in Wellington. It is a small city, you know, but there's a population of 400,000 there. So there's enough to, to try and, and, and reach out to. And they are quite patriotic. And I know that they get out there, like most teams, the fans get out there when, when the team's doing quite well. Um, but I never really hung my hat on that comment or that quote, you know, knowing that the, there's, the axe is going to you know, sort of fall on its, on its sword without without club. It's it's not something that drives me or steers me towards success. I, I didn't kind of need that there as well. I think there were a lot of other more important things to to, uh, to work on. Um, uh, like I always say, the results are byproduct of everything else that you do, you know, and, and because we've put so much work into, into the football club, um, <clears throat> it was important for me when I start to understand the nitty-gritty um, part of the job, you know, to form an identity, it's always important. I know I watch a lot of coaches when things don't go right, they, they almost live a little bit too late. Um, they say, we need to find out who we are, we need to know what we were about and all that. And I always thought, well, you should, you should have thought that about that when you've, you know, sort of first got the job. And, yeah. and that's sort of an advice that I give to a lot of NPL coaches, you know, is that be clear on on how you want to play the game, be clear on what your football club's going to be about and what your identity is as well and try to stay, stay true to that. It's very easy to veer away from that, particularly when results don't go your way. Yeah. But the biggest thing you can do is just stay clear to that. And if you do lose your job, you lose your job. But it's, at least you've done it by putting yeah. the true basis to together. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. laying a foundation of what, who you are and what your team wants to, 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 to look like, you know. So, you know, for me it was quite clear that the Wellingtonians are very proud people, but Wellington as a city is very funky and groovy and cool. And you know, I've probably you know bought into that as well. And you know, I want I've always my teams have always played an attractive style of football. It probably didn't look that way at the start, but certainly we're built towards that now. And and um, and also, you know, we wanted to be hard to beat. We wanted to have a little bit of fire and a bit of edge about us. You know, a bit of fight about us because that's me as well as a person. You know, mm. and and the more you can sort of translate yourself to your players, they pick up very quickly. Players are very smart, you know. The young ones especially see things a lot quicker than the older ones, you know, because yeah. they've had a lot more experience. So they're probably sussing you out and pick up. The young ones, they pick up a lot of things. So you've got to be very careful in the way, you know, you speak to them, the way you communicate with them, the you know, tone of voice that you use with them as well because they're on top of a lot of things, you know. And having young kids of my own, I know with all this technology, they're a lot smarter than what we were at their, at their age, you know. They're aware of a lot more things. So you've really got to be on your game with the young ones, you know. Um, you know they, they continue to challenge me every day, and it's, it's a good thing too, because uh, I like to think that I challenge them on a daily basis as well. So, um, yeah, it's quite interesting. But no, going back to the initial question, sorry, I, it's, I don't look at that. I just think that if we can get a lot of things together, then... Maybe next year or maybe this year, people can start talking a little bit differently about us, you know, and, and they perceive us in a different way as well. I presume there is a, a positive attitude within the, the management and executives of the club as well. Yeah, they're, they're starting to change. You know, yeah. I asked them a lot of hard questions at the start, and, and to, to be honest, some of them I was quite surprised by, the, by their answer, um, which told me exactly how they felt as well um, and I'll, I'll be honest Frank? and I'll tell you, you know, I was quite, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what the, the question was do you believe that we can win a, a trophy this season and I, and I wasn't 
or, or all that happy with the response that I got. You know, and then and I said to them, well, if that's how you feel, how do you think the rest of this organisation or this club feels? Because how you feel subconsciously, you know, is, is, a, you know, is a sort of a, is a snowball effect. It, it runs through your office, which runs through your coaching staff, which runs through your players eventually, and then your fans, right? So we needed to change that, and I needed to change that mentality as well. And maybe you can call me far-fetched, maybe maybe overconfident, maybe a big believer, maybe a dreamer. You know, I don't know, but 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 certainly there was a clear picture that I had in my head when I took the job job on, and I, you know, I kept painting that picture and enforcing that picture on my players and my staff and on, on the people at board level in the office as well and and I said this might be grey and murky for you guys right now but you know in time you'll see a little bit of colour in the corner you know and maybe in time you'll see this full colour picture that I see as well and you know we're working towards that still. Excellent. Who inspired, who has inspired you as a coach? Yeah. Do you have um, any role models that you, you've stowed yourself on? Or? Not really, you know. Look, I do read a lot, you know. I, I read a lot in general, um, but I, I do read a lot of, you know, coaching coaches and, and, and their experiences, and, and some are great man managers, some are great tacticians, you know. Some are great at doing both. Uh, um, it's the little things that come up, you know. Sir so, so Alex, you'd be mad not to, to, to know and try to think, of, you know, and learn as much as you can and take anything you can from someone like that. Carlo Ancelotti is a guy that I, you know, I, I studied a lot uh, as well, just in terms of his mannerisms. Jose Mourinho is another one that, from a defensive side of things and from a, a winning point of view, you know, the way, you know, his his talk to his Chelsea players when he first walked in there, when he asked them, you know, how many of you guys have won this trophy or that trophy, right? And you know, there weren't that many at the time, right? So, um, you know, little things like that sort of inspire me, and I continue to take notes all the time. And even watching, you know, Cagliari play this morning, you know, I'm constantly writing in my notepad. I've always got a, a book next to me, beside me. I watch a lot of football. It's another thing that I always say to the coaches as well: watch as many games as you can from different parts of the world, because you can always pick up little things and learn different things as well. So I wouldn't say that there was one particular person. You know, my, my, my father's been a massive influence on me in terms of the way, um, you know, he, he led the family. He was a strong, uncompromising type, strict disciplinarian, wasn't a man of many words, um, but he led through his actions and he, and, he, and he, you know, he fed his family, he worked extremely hard, his work ethic was phenomenal and still is today. And that's probably the biggest trait that I've found is, is a very, you know, a man full of values as well, and um, his family always came first. And, and there was, you know, if I if I could do the things that he did as as a father, I'd be extremely impressed. If looking back, you know, because you know what he's done for me has has, has taught me a lot, you know. And uh, um, yeah, to this day, he, he will never say "well done," right? And he never, never 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 really did. But that's you know the old school in him, you yep. know, as well. And uh, maybe I'm a different parent to, to my children, you know, and, and I guess society does that to you, but uh, certainly in terms of, you know, he's, he's such a noble man, you know, as well, and, and like I said, if I could be half of, of what he was, then I'd, I'd be extremely happy with myself. Before I let you go off for your dinner, I was just uh, looking through the uh, your cuts, your history, yeah. one thing that intrigued me, the suitcase of cash. Yeah. Did you ever find, can you yeah. tell me more about that story for the listeners? And oh, it's not, it's not so much a story that I'd that I really look back on. It's, an, it's, a, it's a part of my life that that changed me as a person. I will say that. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's where I lost that little bit of trust and honesty. You know, I, I was... I was... I found it really hard to 
if I met someone new to sort of open myself up and I was a pretty open guy I, you know we, as a young kid I was, I was introverted and pretty quiet um, but then I got myself out of that when I found a bit of self-confidence and um, I guess it was one of those where I left Northern Spirit on a free um, Graham Arnold was the coach um, I, I paid my contract out you know um, and I went over there and then what can I say? I think it was against Borussia Mönchengladbach. We lost 5-1. I got sent off in that game away from home. 55, 60,000 people there. And at that stadium, was, it was like this theatre of, you know, was, you look up and they're all on top of you. And it was quite daunting. And just before the break, I had this quick guy in front of me. No, I've never been quick, right? So I got my second <laughs> yellow card. Uh, as a Dutch guy, I can't remember who he was, a short guy. And I pulled his shirt. And I was just having a, a nightmare, you know. I had a really bad game. And I got my second yellow card, and on the way out, they started throwing food, you know, all this sort of stuff, you know, beer and, and food, and I sort of put my middle finger up at them. And so the next day in the, in the sports bill, the big newspaper, you know, there's a photo of me with my finger up and, and, the, and the sort of the German FA finding me 10,000 marks for that, right? And I couldn't really speak German at the time, but I was taking lessons. So I remember, I remember, um, I remember asking a teammate of mine, um, Sasha Hildman was his name. And I said, Sasha, do you mind Ruth sort of explaining to me what this article's about? Am I getting fined? And he said, yeah, the, the, the FA are finding you 10,000 marks for, you know, what your, your gesture. I said, okay, no dramas. And he kept reading it and he said, um, he called me the, the, the 600,000 mark man. And I said, what do you mean by that? You know, what does that mean, right? And he said, well, that's what the club paid for your transfer. That was the moment where, where I thought, hang on a sec, I'm a free player. Right, yeah, and so I called the guy that that sort of I met, you know, as well, who was my acting agent. He didn't have a, a license as such, but he told me a guy called Hans Hegler, who was managing Widow Buchwald, the, the World Cup winner, and he, he was telling me, oh, you're, you're wrong me so much of him, you're this Aussie, and all that sort of stuff. So, I, and he said to me, just don't worry about it. He said, nah, you're not even going to get, you're not paying the fine, it's not going to come out of your pay, don't worry about it, I'll speak to the club, it's all fine. But that's when I guess the alarm bell started ringing, right. Fast forward, I think about 18 months later, and he went downhill very, very quickly. Um, I remember Goran Lozanovsky, I brought him over to the club as well. There were two, we were looking for a winger, and, and, and Loza and, and both Tommy Pondiak uh, were guys that I recommended to, to my coach. Uh, we had Jay Hui, a, a Chinese international, um, who, who the club paid 1.5 million marks for from, from China. Um, yeah, he's a superstar. Um, he's good friend, we're good friends today, right? But. He needed, he needed service. So, you know, they, the boys came over and, you know, Loza was somewhat implicated in the whole thing as well because they paid South Melbourne, I think, something like $50,000 or whatever it was, but I was a free. Before I knew it, um, my agent called me to tell me, look, there's a lawyer that's going to come and see you. Don't worry about a thing. It's all good. No dramas. <laughs> and before I could ask any questions, I used to meet him in Dusseldorf, which wasn't too far away. I said, can we meet in Dusseldorf? And he said, no, no, it's okay. That was the last time I heard from him because his phone then never answered again. He went, he went straight to voice message all the time. Uh, I later found out he escaped right, to, to Bosnia, somewhere over there, yeah. so he couldn't be found because he knew that he was involved in this whole transfer saga. Right? And I, you know, like I said, uh, I, got, I got locked up in a, in a local prison cell. Quite a funny story for some because we came back from, from pre-season in, in Portugal, I think it was, and at six o'clock in the morning, they started knocking on my window 
and there was a torch that was going in through it. And, and my wife was back at, back at home because during the winter we, we worked quite hard and we were always away. And I said, and I said, look, don't come back until you know Loza's wife comes back as well. And that was normal practice in Europe. And uh, and I thought it was Loza. You know, I thought he wanted some bread or some milk because he was a lazy eater. You know, he was always <laughs> pinching something from me. You know. But it was, uh, you know, three police officers, you know, who came in and stormed their way in. And uh, it was pretty scary, you know. They emptied out all my cupboards looking for any, you know, evidence, I suppose, that they could find. Took me straight into the local, you know, prison cell and I stayed there for the night. Um, pretty cold, didn't sleep a wink. But I remember one of the officers opening my cell and just saying, um, there's a guy called Spider looking for you, right? Because <laughs> at the time, Zorko Kalas was playing for Rota, Kirkland, right? And, um, and I think he had Bindi on trial at Rota. And, for, and we were playing Leverkusen that day in our last trial before the winter break had finished, right? So we had Frankie, Spider, Bimby, we'd all organised a big night out, Loza as well. And here I am in a cell, right? And they had no idea because they took me quite early and they left and they kept me in there, but somehow news had triggered or, or, or got through when they all played because my club played against Leverkusen, so then word got out very quickly and, and um, it was just Spider saying, you know, that he's thinking about you, you know, and all that sort of stuff, right? So, and I'm, just, and I'm thinking, oh, these guys are out in the piss, you know, and, and probably having a grand, <laughs> grand old time, and I was looking forward to that night as well. And the next day, I spoke to the DA um, with this lawyer who just came from nowhere, got me to sign something really quickly about his fee, you know, which I thought was his fee, but it wasn't because he never asked about, you know, what he's going to get paid, which I, which I didn't know anyway, because I've never been in that situation before. Yeah. But he was getting paid by my agent. Right, so this lawyer who was supposed to be protecting me was protecting him. So I've gone into the DA, no interpreter, no, no nothing. They took my passport off me, and before I knew it, I was in a prison. I went to the, the proper prison, right, in Arkham. And the only little things that I remember, it, and things like seeing the doctor who had a big bowl of condoms on his table, um, and I sat there, and, I, and, I was, and, he, and he said to me, you're all clean. Um, here's your, here's your, the, your clothes, right? Your, your prison clothes. Would you be needing one of these? And, and I said, well, I didn't really want to ask, but I said, are they condoms? And he said, yes. And then I said, is this a, an all-male jail or are there females here as well? And he said, no, it's all male. And that's when I started to shit myself, right? Yeah. Anyway, I can tell you stories. I spent, I spent a week there. I got myself a new lawyer. It was quite, quite interesting, the people that you meet um, as well. You only spend an hour um, away from the prison cell um, in broad daylight, and I get to, got to meet people. And, and word had travelled pretty quickly that there was a professional footballer in there. And everyone was saying, what the hell are you doing here? You know? But that's the German system, you know, unfortunately. Um, so we, I, I found the guy. You can nominate a cell or another person's cell to go and see for another hour after that, you know. Um, and I met this guy who was there for tax fraud, which is like a white collar crime for them, who was very well connected. And he said, look, I'm going to get you a lawyer ASAP. He had a look at my transcript because I was allowed to keep my transcript from the DA. And he said, mate, your, your, your lawyer's not looking after you or protecting you in this. He got one straight away. I then had to make, you know, he was then the, the new lawyer for me, so I had, this guy got really angry because I had to sign away all my rights for him to this new guy. There was a bit of a battle going on between, between the two lawyers, but within two days I was out, back in the DA, got my passport back, and and then it was a long process because the club had made a decision to, you know, to move on with through me. Then within two years, I think, or I could, I could be wrong, it went to court and, and all the guys, the treasurer and all these guys got sentences or, or, or fines, big fines, you know, and um, 
I got out of it. There was there was nothing against me, but then I sort of had the option to to go after certain people because of the the, the, sure. the situation yeah. that I was in, which which we settled out of court. And it's a hell of a nightmare to be dropped into, huh? It was, it was, and it was unfortunate because you know you, you finally realise a dream. You yeah. know, you, you're going to Europe, and you know I remember when, when you know Viduka was a top mate of mine at the institute, or best mates, and he always used to call me and what me, you know, when are you going to come overseas? When he, but Maury did it as well, and you know I just thought, well, I'm not sort of ready yet. I'll go when I'm going, you know, yeah. when I'm ready to go, and and you get then you go, you love this. This is this is what it's. This is football. This is proper football. You know, you're watching, you know top European leagues or the EPL at the right hour, not at, you know, at midnight and, and things like that. And you're just, you know, entrenched in, in this real football culture. You know, it's just all around you. you yeah. It's just part of you. And as a football person and nut, that's just what it's about. So I was disappointed because, you know, my dream was over in terms of playing in Europe. I, I went to Charleroi. Enzo Schifo was the coach there as well. And he just knew that mentally and physically I was unstable. You know, I... I, I turned to, to alcohol, you know, and I'm, I'm not an alcoholic by any stretch of the imagination, but, I've, you know, I've, but that was sort of a vice for me that, yeah. that where I felt a bit of comfort. And I, and I could thank Gron Lozanowski as well for... I used to escape to all these different, little different pubs um, in Belgium or in Holland because I was right on the border of both those countries and so I just wouldn't be found by my wife or, or Lozer or his wife. And he eventually found me and, um, you know, just said, look, I'm going to go drink for drink with you. You know, if you're going to do that bottle, I'm doing a bottle with you. And, uh, and I guess that was the turning point where I started to get myself back on track. And, and like I said, through those moments, there were a couple of trials, but I was poor, you know, mentally and, and physically. But, you know, in terms of, you know, like I said to you, when I, when I recruit, I look, at, I look at people's careers and I, and I look at their journeys and, and I have a look at, you know, what they had to overcome and what they went through because... You know, looking back, you know, it happened. It was a pretty dark time in, in my career, but it, and it certainly shook me up, and it did change me somewhat as well. But um, you know, it, it's it's there. I mean, everyone's got their own story, Kevin. Like I'm sure you do as well. You know, and everyone's gets affected everyone's in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And we still are. You know, current journey, grand final this year. Yeah, I've answered this question differently, Kev. Like. It, it, I, I don't put a ceiling on where this team can go and where these players can go. You know, I, I believe in these guys so much. There's so much quality about them as well. They're great human beings. Um, my job is to get the best out of them. I'm there to solicit and, and to and to help them get to to where they where I really believe they can get to. Some of them never really got out of their comfort zone. Some of them just did what they needed to do, or they just got by because they 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 could. Yeah, it can be tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, 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 you know. I'm, I work them pretty hard, you know, and, and I'm quite unassuming and, and, I, and I expect a lot from them as well. But it's only because I want them to see their true potential, right? So I won't say yes to that. I won't say no to that. All I'm going to say is that they can go as far as they want to go and, and I'll be right behind them making sure that they get there. Excellent. Yeah. Go and get, give them dinner in the meantime. Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you Thanks, so much, Kevin. mate. No problems. Thank you. It's all over! Oh, what a goal that is! Penalty! Penalty! Whoa.